0: I am back after a very long and unexpected absence, although I have to say it wasn't uh, anything bad necessarily. It's not like I got sick or something, but uh, basically COVID in 2021, um, I think that when 2020 changed over to 2021, I felt like, like many people, okay, this is it. We've had a year of this and now it's over. And as it turned out, it was actually just going to get worse. So it was very busy is the point I'm making. Um, 2021 was the busiest year of my autopsy career. And, um, you know, it's not just COVID cases that cause me to be busy. It's actually a lot of the other cases, such as people who are dying at home um, due to, you know, heart disease or whatever kind of other uh clinical illness they have. And then they decide not to go to the doctor because they're afraid to go seek medical care. They wait too long. They die at home. And because it's an unattended death, then it ends up coming to me uh, for an autopsy. So I actually did 200 more autopsies in 2021 than I did in 2020. So uh, with that said, um, I have decided to come back to the podcast, but I'm going to do something a little bit different this time. I am going to make shorter episodes. So if you listen to season one, this by the way, I feel like this is season two. You know, you take a year off, you come back and then the second album. So um, what I was saying is the first season had a long episodes, like an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. But I feel like this time around, I want to do short, um, quick hitting episodes. Episodes that um, cover one topic quickly so that you can just listen to it in 15 minutes, 20 minutes, something like that. And uh, we are going to probably do some longer episodes, and when I do that, maybe I'll have a guest. Now, the truth is, uh, I don't have any guests necessarily lined up. I feel like I like to just talk, and you know, obviously you guys know I'm entertaining enough to listen to, so I don't really need any guests, right? Uh, but yeah, I'm thinking about having a few guests. When we do, we'll do longer episodes, but... I think for now, uh, because I'm so busy with my job, it's uh, better for me to use long. I'm sorry. Better for me to use short, uh, quick-hitting topics. So today, I wanted to start off talking about the COVID autopsy. And normally, I would, you know, and I think uh, a lot of people would normally just do an introduction where you do this long history about how autopsies are instrumental in in elucidating. the the cause and the pathophysiology of diseases, and that is true, and I could talk about that. There are probably whole books written on that, but I kind of just want to jump into it, frankly, because one of the most common questions I get is, what does a COVID autopsy look like? How is it different from any other autopsy? And so I'm going to tell you what the main points are right now. First of all, we have uh, a case where somebody is dying at home, generally. And I say that because if somebody goes to the hospital with, with COVID, or let's say they go to the hospital with respiratory distress, they come into the emergency room, and right now, during a pandemic, if you come in in respiratory distress, you are presumed to have COVID, and that's because that is the most likely explanation for your respiratory distress. So invariably, they will test you. They will do a PCR, and they will send that for rapid uh, you know, uh, processing. Hopefully, get the result back quickly. If that test is in house, if it's sent out, it's going to take a little bit longer. But um, if the COVID diagnosis is established, the patient is COVID nineteen positive, the patient has respiratory distress, the patient um, has you know imaging of the chest, chest X ray or um, CT scan that shows a severe pneumonia and pulmonary edema, diffuse alveolar damage. Um, you don't need to do an autopsy in that case if they die because the clinical diagnosis is established. So remember, we do autopsies when there is a legal element to a case or if the diagnosis uh, is unknown. So in other words, if somebody were to come in with cancer and they've had cancer for four years and they die of terminal stage four cancer, you do not need to autopsy those people because you already know the diagnosis. Well, the same with COVID, even though it is an acute illness. If you've got the clinical diagnosis, you don't autopsy it. And, you know, uh, part of that is because it's, it's a waste. If you already know the clinical diagnosis, then why autopsy it other than for academic reasons, which is, it does have its place. But uh, you also have to consider that when you have a novel virus, opening up the body is also an infectious hazard to everyone there. So we try not to autopsy COVID cases if we can, but sometimes we have to. And my typical case does not come from the hospital. It comes from the home. So we will have a patient who uh, is found dead at home. And generally, if they live alone, there's not a a strong history of the illness. So we've had both cases where people are found dead at home. They live alone alone. And they're found dead we have to do an autopsy you know to make sure it's not foul play and to be able to give a diagnosis to the clinician for them to sign off the death certificate or the coroner to sign off the death certificate but um, the other is that sometimes the family is at home whether it's a wife or children or an entire family and a lot of times they're able to give a history well he had been sick uh he or she had been sick for a couple of weeks They were complaining of shortness of breath, that sort of thing. Uh, They had a fever. And when the history is there, it's actually very helpful. And sometimes what we'll do is we will swab the body after death and we will send it for a PCR test. And uh, if it's positive, you know, the diagnosis of COVID is uh, implied because they have the symptoms, you know, fever, shortness of breath, cough, and then sudden death. But sometimes we don't have that history. And uh, other times we have a history from loved ones that is not consistent with a classical COVID death. Uh, They don't have the fever. They don't have the cough. Maybe they have a little shortness of breath, but perhaps uh, they're obese or they have COPD and they're normally short of breath breath anyway. So uh, basically, um, you know, those are the two scenarios. Now, in the scenario where you have history you're kind of already expecting it. It's not that much of a surprise. But in 2021, my COVID autopsies, uh, some of them have been surprises where man is found dead at home, man is brought in for an autopsy, and then we do the case. And and then as soon as we open the chest, we kind of know that we're in for it. We know that this is a COVID case at this point. And uh, I want to talk first about death investigation in these cases. So Uh, Or in any case, you're going to have scene examination first, okay? So if someone doesn't die in a hospital, the medical legal death investigator, or in my uh, state, they will refer to that as a deputy coroner, but all of them are death investigators, regardless of your medical examiner or coroner system. Uh, They will basically examine the scene and look for signs of foul play. So uh, are there shell casings? Are there bullet wounds to the body? Is there any evidence of trauma to the body Ah, uh, blunt force trauma, sharp force trauma, like stabbing or chopping things like that. You reel really out foul play, and then you're going to look at things like: um, is there any signs of drug use? So um, you're going to have needles, syringes, uh, powder, um, rolled up, you know, dollar bills, or um, you know, paper uh, for snorting things. Um, you're going to look for tourniquets and things like that. Um, if you rule out uh, drug use, then you're going to look for other signs that this person could be dead. Are there medications that indicate um, w- conditions that that patient has? For instance, do they have blood pressure medication? Do they have seizure medication? That sort of thing. Um, uh, of course, you also have to look for things like if there are medications, how how much medication is left. For instance, if you have a bottle of hydrocodone and it was filled two days ago for 50 pills and the but the bottle is empty, then you have to imagine there could be a suicidal ingestion, an intentional ingestion of medication. So you reel these things out. And the most common thing we see at COVID death scenes is we see the uh, indication of an, an illness, a respiratory illness in the form of over-the-counter medications. Usually it's like Tylenol, ibuprofen, cough medication, um, strewn about, uh, you see lots of tissues and uh, indications like thermometers and, and you know, the classic things that people have uh, when they have a flu-like illness, a respiratory illness. So the scene will show usually signs that the person is having some kind of a problem. And uh, But of course, that doesn't necessarily mean that they died of COVID. It just means that this is uh, indicative of a, some kind of upper or lower respiratory illness. So that's what the scene looks like. Now, uh, at that point, we, we have to be thinking about it. The problem is sometimes we don't get uh, perfect history on these. Uh, sometimes I have a body with very little history, and I find out later that you know uh, there was an outbreak of COVID at their work or at their school or something of that nature. And then there's a good explanation for why um, they had died at home. Uh, but, you know, sometimes the information isn't there at the time of the case. So uh, let's just talk about the autopsy itself. Now, w- most of my COVID uh, autopsies have been male patients, and they've been somewhere in the range between 40 and 65. Um We do see uh, some females, uh, but just in my area, for whatever reason, it's been more males. Um, And I don't know if that's necessarily due to, uh, you know, uh, males tend to seek uh, care. Uh, They tend to wait to seek care when they have an illness because, I mean, the truth is most of my heart attack patients are males as well. Most of my COPD patients are males as well. So um, it would be male, 40 to 65, somewhere in there. And, um, you know, there's not really a race predilection. I mean, I live in a state where there are more Caucasian people than uh, non-Caucasian people. So just statistically, I'm going to have more more whites. But uh, what I've noticed in my uh, COVID deaths is I'd say it's about 50-50 uh, white and um uh, People of color, uh, actually African American. I really haven't seen any other races than Caucasian or African American for my COVID deaths. So uh, there's no racial predilection where uh, I have done autopsies. And so, um, but you know that's that's the kind of patient demographic. Now, looking at the body, are are there signs that the person is uh, having respiratory distress? Well. The, the things I look at when I look at a body, I look at the fingernails. And if the fingernails are very dusky, like the nail beds. So you can look at your fingers right now if you're not wearing nail polish. And if you can see your nail beds, I mean, typically they're pink. Uh, they're kind of pinkish, white, tan, pale. Um, they they don't necessarily have a, a dusky, we call the a dusky color to it. So that would be kind of a bluish gray so when you're in respiratory distress and your oxygen saturation is going down, you tend to have these dusky fingernails. So I look for the fingernails. And by the way, that is a non-specific sign. There's nothing specific about that. It's just something I do. And um, so uh, we look at cyanotic fingernails. Usually the face shows some degree of cyanosis. So that would be kind of bluish gray lips. Uh, sometimes you'll see congestion, uh, and when I say congestion, we think when it, when you use that term, you think of nasal congestion. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about vascular congestion, which would be kind of from the chest up. The head is kind of a, a that bluish color, and that's because at the end of life, regardless really of the cause of death, we're going to have. Um, some cardiac failure. When we, when we fail from a cardiac perspective, then our lungs fail. And when our lungs fail, um, we can't oxygenate as well. So we see some degree of cyanosis, but not always. In some cases, I've not seen that. Um, so from an external perspective, there's not a ton of clues. I also look for mucus in the airway, so just in the nose and see if they have some kind of you know, kind of respiratory symptoms. Those are the main findings. Um, And then the body itself. Um, I have seen both obese patients who have died of COVID, and I've also seen patients who are very thin. So there's not really been uh, a predilection with regards to body habitus, okay? So it's all over the place. Um, Thin people, muscular people, and then very obese people, men and women, both races, Okay, so now we're going to open the body at this point. And once we've done our external examination, we rule out foul play, we open the body. And of course, um, most of you know how autopsies work, but the body is opened with a Y-shaped incision. That's a a scalpel that goes from the shoulder to the center of the chest on both sides. And then that incision is drawn across the abdomen down to the pelvis. That way we're able to access the chest And the abdomen and the pelvis, of course. So what happens is um, we will actually dissect that tissue back and it kind of exposes the rib cage and the abdomen is there open. And then we'll use um, either a saw, an actual bone saw, or some people use what's called loppers, which are like branch cutters to open the ribs. Um, Sometimes we use the branch cutters if we're suspecting a respiratory illness because the saw could in theory produce some kind of a spatter or aerosol. So I try not to use saws very much when I'm suspecting a COVID case. Uh, I use the loppers, we cut through the ribs and then you dissect the chest plate off. And at that point, that's when you know you've got a COVID case Um, or at least you strongly suspect it. And here's what I mean. So when you take the chest plate off, you immediately see the lungs on each side of the chest cavity, and in the middle, you see the pericardium. Now, you probably expected me to say the heart, but you can't actually see the heart until you cut the pericardium open. And if you've seen my social media, I usually have a video somewhere on there of me cutting the pericardium. Uh, for some reason, it's one of my favorite parts of the autopsy to open that pericardium and look at the heart. But the lungs, this is where the findings are, okay? Someone who has respiratory failure that dies of covid they have these bright, kind of red purple lungs. Um, they uh, are sometimes have a bumpy surface to them. Sometimes they'll have a um, kind of uh, tan white, kind of uh, liquidy type surface to them. And that's actually the pneumonia itself coming through to the pleural surface. So we see these lungs, and uh, my assistant and I will say, ah, okay, this is COVID. This is COVID lungs, because there's really nothing else that looks like this. Um, This is an acute respiratory distress syndrome. So you can see acute respiratory distress syndrome with other illnesses. But um, there's just something about these COVID lungs that with that bright reddish purple, um, it's certainly not specific. I wouldn't publish a paper based on the color of the lungs. But during this pandemic, when you see that, you know uh, that you're probably dealing with it and then of course we take the lungs out and then one of the first things I do is I look for um, blood clots in the vessels the pulmonary artery branches of the lungs because sometimes the cause of death is actually a pulmonary embolism and not a uh, you know necessarily the pneumonia itself so um, we did see a rise in, uh, pulmonary embolus cases in 2020. This is, uh, and and every time I say this, I always get somebody who says, "Well, aha, yeah, this is because of the vaccine," and then of course I have to dunk on them and say, "No, all of my data was generated before the vaccine was available," and that's true because uh, 2020 we saw a massive increase in pulmonary emboli. We didn't quite know what that was, but we we figured it was probably because of COVID. Um, there are theories why this happens, and it's because the virus itself is what is known as vasculopathic, which means it attacks blood vessels. And, and if you attack and damage blood vessels, then you form clots. So we had um, several hundred percent increase in pulmonary emboli in 2020. 2021, we have not seen very many pulmonary emboli. Um, I see more straight up viral pneumonia. And that we see more on the microscopic side of things. But first I wanna say the lungs, the other feature of the lungs is not only the color, but the weight and the density. So the weight is increased. And that's because there's so much damage to the lungs that there's a lot of inflammation and there's a lot of pulmonary edema. This increases the weight of the lung. The lung is usually about three to 400 grams in a person who's perfectly healthy. So in other words, someone who dies in a car accident who never smoked and has really good looking lungs, I'll take those out. They're really soft. They're kind of the consistency of an extremely soft cake for lack of a better term. And they kind of have a balloon-like quality to them, but it's more like a sponge. You weigh those 300 grams, 400 grams, okay? And, but with a COVID case, they're usually double or even triple that amount. So we're talking about 800, 900 gram lungs, sometimes over a thousand grams for one lung. Uh, And then when you feel them, it's very different. Like I said, the, the normal lung is kind of a sponge quality. The COVID lung feels like almost like rubber, okay? So it is very, very firm. And that will I'll explain the physiology of why that's bad in just a moment. Now, the other thing we do is, of course, we cut the lungs because we want to look inside and we want to take sections so we can look under the microscope. Um, When we cut those lungs, we see a lot of edema fluid macroscopically. In other words, without looking under the microscope, we see a lot of edema fluid. And uh, that's, again, because of all that inflammation and the stoppage of the heart, you're going to have pulmonary edema. So that is, uh, and sometimes that'll manifest as foam inside of the bronchi as well. So again, those are the lung findings. We pretty much know what we're dealing with when we see that and we hear the history. And then I will take sections and I will look under the microscope. And that's where really you can see the damage. So the the key element of COVID pathology is something called diffuse alveolar damage. And I'm gonna break down that terminology for you. Diffuse means kind of everywhere in the organ. It's not just here, and it's not just there, A couple of little places, it's the entire organ, diffuse. Alveolar refers to the functional unit of the lung, which is the alveolus, and the plural is alveoli. And so what it's saying is there is diffuse damage of the alveoli, so that means throughout the entire lung on both sides, you have damaged the functional unit of the lung. And um, the implications of that is that you cannot exchange oxygen. So let's first of all understand that when you have your normal lung that is not damaged and you breathe in oxygen from the air, you're breathing in um, 21% oxygen. You know, just in case you didn't know, a lot of people think air and oxygen are one and the same. That's not true. The most common element in air is actually nitrogen. It's about 78%. Nitrogen gas and 21% oxygen gas. And then there's some other trace gases there like CO2. Um, So you breathe that in, 21% oxygen. That air goes down into the alveoli and the alveoli are completely uh, uh, encircled in small capillaries, okay? So it's like a mesh. It's like a net, okay, of capillaries. And what happens is that oxygen goes across the membrane, super thin membrane. It's only one cell thick, little alveolar membrane there, into the capillaries. And when that oxygen goes into the capillaries, the red blood cells soak that oxygen up and they put it in hemoglobin. And then those freshly um, oxygenated hemoglobin molecules in the red blood cells come back to the heart. The heart then pumps that blood through the body to whatever, the brain, the eyes, the skin, the kidneys, the pancreas. And that's how your body lives because your body needs oxygen. So what happens when you damage the alveolus? Well, if you damage the alveolus, then you damage the ability of oxygen to come into those red blood cells. And so what I'm referring to is when you have all of this inflammatory damage, you have a bunch of cell material laying around, a bunch of junk basically. And you also have a bunch of liquid. That's the pulmonary edema. Well, oxygen molecules do not diffuse across that junk and across that liquid into the capillary. You're basically increasing the distance for oxygen diffusion, and when you do that, you can't oxygenate. And that's why people who get COVID, their oxygen levels are low. So our oxygen levels sit around, uh, you know, 95 to 100 percent at baseline. And you can check that, like if you've got an Apple watch that does the oxygen, you can check that. And usually it sets 95 to 100, but when we start getting sick with our lungs, um, the oxygen can drop and it can get down below 90, down below 80, down below 70, and you're getting in in respiratory distress. And that's when people are gasping for air. And unfortunately, that's when a lot of people wait to come to the hospital, when they're already gasping for air. So that's how COVID kills in, in this way um you know uh, respiratory distress deaths are the number one thing i see and then pulmonary emboli deaths would be the number two way that i see and we've already talked about blood clots in the lungs basically when you have a large blood clot in the pulmonary artery you block all the blood that goes into the lung and it's um a pretty you know it's it can be a sudden or instantaneous death or you can have have kind of a slow burn development of those clots which causes your oxygen to go down Uh, And you can survive them, but you got to get to the hospital. So uh, that would be number two. Number three is we also saw a lot of strokes and heart attacks. And so people would say, well, strokes and heart attacks, of course. Well, that doesn't have anything to do with COVID. Well, again, I I have to remind you that this virus is vasculopathic, meaning it infects and damages blood vessels. And when you infect and damage blood vessels, you form clots. The mechanism of pathology for both a stroke in the brain and a heart attack in the heart is blockage of a blood vessel and decreased amount of blood and nutrients being given to the tissue. So that would be the main ways um, that this this virus kills. And so therefore, what I have seen at autopsy is the uh, severely damaged lungs that are the consistency of rubber, the large uh, blood clots in the lungs. And of course we see with, with stroke, you have actually necrosis of the brain. So the brain just starts to turn to liquid in those areas that, that the, the stroke has happened. So these are the main findings of COVID in a COVID, uh, rather in a COVID death. Um, this doesn't really address any of the issues that we're seeing in terms of long COVID. Uh, Long COVID is a phenomenon which occurs in somewhere between 5 and 20% of people who have even mild cases of COVID in which they have persistent symptoms. So that would be like, it could be something as simple as um, loss of smell or taste for many, many months. And there's a couple of people I know that they don't even have their smell back and they got it in 2020. So they're going on two years without smell. A lot of people think that's trivial, but when you can't smell your food and you can't uh, taste it, Uh, that can actually lead to depression. But there are other more severe complications of long COVID. Things like, um, you know, um, uncontrolled um, spasms of heart rate where the the heart might go to 200, uh, which should be be less than 100, but might be persistently at 100 or go to 200. Um, Chronic pain, chronic fatigue, chronic shortness of breath. And so the reason why this is, is this virus is a novel virus, which means our body has never seen it. And as a result, we do not have uh, natural immunity to it. And if you do not have natural immunity, then that virus is able to kind of run wild uh, in your body and basically infect any kind of tissue. So that's the biggest problem with why there are so many different ways this virus affects people. And uh, you have to understand that I think that that is what causes this um, disconnect with some people who say, Well, I had it and I had a sniffle, so clearly it's all a lie. Well, unfortunately, your experience does not extrapolate to the totality of experiences of all humans on earth. Uh, Some people get it and die within two days, and other people get uh, the most mild sniffle you've ever seen. And then, furthermore, there are some people who get it and are completely asymptomatic. And those people are very lucky, but I don't know how well their immune system is responding to it. I'm not sure they're necessarily um, for- forming good antibodies if they're not having an active infection. But there's one more thing I want to say about autopsies here with COVID, and that is my increase in neonatal deaths uh, this year occur um, basically increased more than uh, anything in my career. Uh, this would be fetal deaths, deaths of uh, the baby in the uterus, um, you know, somewhere between like 20 and 35 weeks. And then, uh, also the actual neonate deaths. So babies that are between zero and like a month old. Um, we did see an increase in deaths of COVID with those kids. And with the fetuses, What's interesting is we don't necessarily say that it was COVID. I, I don't think I've signed out any fetus case as COVID, but the mother had COVID and the placenta had COVID. So COVID is at at the root, the underlying cause why the, the child had a fetal demise, why it actually died in utero. But if you look at the fetus itself, there's really not too many ad, abnormalities. Uh, but what happens is When you kill the placenta, you kill the baby. And again, we have to remember, what is the placenta? The placenta is what gives life and nutrition to the baby. The placenta is also one of the most blood vessel-rich organs in the human body. I mean, it is just packed. Every square millimeter is packed with blood vessels. So if you have a virus that is vasculopathic, meaning it infects and damages the blood vessels, then it is very easy to imagine how covid Ah, uh, nineteen actually infects uh, the the trillions and billions of blood vessels uh, cells within a placenta and uh, kills them. And when you do that, then of course, you uh, impair the ability to nourish the baby with blood and nutrients and things like that. So they call that Covid nineteen placentitis, which is the inflammation of the placenta. So uh, yeah, that would be the other increase we saw at autopsy. Um, I did. My youngest COVID patient was actually four days old. Now, that one uh, was a a legitimate COVID autopsy. Uh, The family had it, and then the baby got it, and the baby died quickly of respiratory distress. Um, The lungs, although this was just a little infant, the lungs were the same consistency as those adult lungs. They're like little pieces of rubber. And in other words, when I use that that description, rubber, the baby, the uh, sorry, the lungs are not expanding very well. They're not oxygenating very well because they're being damaged. So, um, and that's kind of a dark note to end on, but it's also reality. And I don't talk about it much on social media because um, even though that information needs to be out there, uh, my social media accounts are ones that Uh, They tend to restrict talking about that kind of thing, Uh, in particular TikTok. Um, I have a TikTok account now. I don't think I did. Last time I did a podcast, it's called The Dead Letter. That's T-H-E underscore and then dead underscore letter. Um, It's actually very popular. There's over 700,000 followers on there. So if you want to go follow that, you can. I basically answer people's questions about autopsies. That's what I do. And if I talk about anything that's too um, out of the way, the video gets taken down or somebody reports it, some little infant reports it. Um, but yeah, so this is going to be the first podcast back. Um, it's shorter than normal, and I'm going to try to do some quick hitting topics. This one is um, its actually quite complex, but I feel like I can at least pass on to you my experience and how serious this disease is. And in fact, as I sit here, we are in January 2022 now. As I sit here, my last five cases that I've consulted on, whether we did the autopsy or we deferred the autopsy, um, four of them were COVID cases. So that's 80% of my last uh, set of cases. The disease is spreading like wildfire. So please be careful. I would recommend wearing an N95 or at worst a KN95 if you can. And avoiding crowds for now, at least until this wave is over. Um, but that's it. So I hope you learned something, and I hope to put out material for the podcast a little more often now that I've decided to shorten the format. Um, and if you have any questions, you know how to reach me on social media: knife after death uh, on YouTube, the dead letter at TikTok, and anatomy in the dead at Instagram. All right. Thank you, and we'll hit some new topics next time.